Earlier this year, I was in Morocco talking with a friend and client about my podcast. She said she loved all the sales psychology and website wisdom I was sharing, and she knew it would help hundreds of wedding pros who were listening to this because the same kind of advice had skyrocketed her own business from straddling the four or five figure bookings to consistently getting clients at those higher price points. But she wanted something more from the podcast, something deeper, something that ignited a fire to push through the burnout she was feeling, something that offered a model of what she could do with her own business, something that connected her with other wedding pros who often felt like they too were the only ones going through the struggles of what it's like to be the boss of your own business. So I thought a long time about what I could do with the podcast to incorporate the kind of subject matter she wanted. I'd heard it before from other clients and colleagues. It's why I named the podcast Own Your Business. I want to share advice and recommendations on sales and pricing and websites because the tactics I share absolutely 100% can change your path to success. But at some point, being the boss is less about what you do with your head and it's more about how you feel about your job with your heart. What makes you love your work? How do you get through the hard times? How do you create a sense of purpose in the daily grind? And who can we look to as role models, specifically in the wedding world? So I sat down and I created a list of business owners in the wedding industry who I thought could open up about what it's like for them to own their businesses, the impact their childhood had on their successes, the jobs that they held before working in the wedding world, the purpose they infuse in their work, the challenges they ran into and how they overcame them, what success felt like early in their careers, and how they define it in their future selves. I wanted to get into their heads and their hearts and hands of some of the best in the industry so you can get a feel for what it takes to reach success in your own career, in your own business. This week's episode is the first in what will be many, many interviews that dive deeper than usual. I hope you enjoy them as much as I have recording them. My first guest is KT Mary, one of the most recognized and celebrated photographers in the industry. Over the past three or four years, I've heard from more of my clients mostly other photographers, but also pros in other fields, tell me that they look up to KT as their role model more than any other wedding professional. Why KT? Here's what others tell me they admire most about her. Her professionalism, her mindset, personal brand, creativity with the camera, sophistication, leadership, values, and conservationism. Yes, KT's in the top echelon of her field, and you'll hear that that did not happen through luck. It took hard work, grit, and a deliberate focus to turn then-current weaknesses into future strengths. What you'll find in this interview is how she took her raw talent and creativity and then redefined what winning looks like. You'll find it's the practice and preparation before the wedding that makes her so successful. And you'll find she's built on her individual success to create a community filled with photographers who want to learn how to thrive in the luxury market, who want to become, well, the next KT. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Well, thanks, KT, for coming on the podcast. Super excited to have you. We've had some conversations over the last couple of years. I have gotten to know you and your business a little bit, but today I am jazzed to dive a little bit deeper. So thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. I know you've got a lot going on. Yeah, Sam, thanks so much for having me. I've so enjoyed our conversations over the years and a variety of topics. And so excited to see where uh, this conversation goes. Well, I'm sure that you've got quite a following uh, and uh, quite a, a, a huge reputation amongst uh, your peers. But for those of you who don't know who you are and what you do, I'd love to get just a little bit of an introduction before we get started. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Katie Mary. I am a luxury destination wedding and editorial photographer. And for the last 15 years have specialized in photographing luxury destination weddings around the globe. I started in the photography industry about 20 years ago. After graduating from photo school, I worked for fashion photographers and was a photographer's assistant, uh, digital tech, all sorts of things in the realm of fashion for about five years before diving into the world of weddings. So you're one of those rare photographers who actually went to school and were trained how to be a photographer. 
I did. I actually, in even rarer, was the high school student who learned in a dark room and actually did a photography competition through VICA, which if anyone's not familiar, is Vocational Industrial Clubs of America. It's actually quite cool. I don't know if they're still around, but it's all things trade. So automotive, um, welding, photography, all sorts of things, and ended up winning a scholarship to go to photo school. So that really sealed the deal. I love that that photography and welding were in the same kind of (laughs) vocation. It gives you a sense of what photography might have been like, you know, 25 years ago, right? Yeah, Vika, you know, those like meetings or things like that, it would be like a lot of men in overalls and like a few photographers. (laughs) (laughs) And you have have a, a connection to Nevada, if I remember correct. Is that right? Yeah. So I actually uh, grew up in the early years on Mammoth Mountain, which is actually in Northern California. And that's where it's a ski mountain and there's not much else. You get, you know, sometimes have like 20 feet of snow standing in the winter. So I grew up ski racing there. And then my dad was in military. And so we lived a few years in Japan, but after that came back and I went to high school in Northern Nevada. And so that is really where I call home and I still have family out there. And that's curious, military family, you know, I know there's a lot of moving around and uh, adaptability. Do you think that that upbringing and experience as a child helped you in your career as a photographer? Absolutely. I think, A, just the military lifestyle, um, being living on a military base, being around other military families, living um, somewhere like Japan. We lived there for two years, and that's where I started show jumping horses and my parents would literally drop me off at a barn, a all Japanese barn out in Iwakuni, Japan, and drop me off in the morning. I would stay there all day. Um, I think I was like 10 years old at the time and they would come pick me up in the evening. And me and one other American girl from base, we would just stay there and help with the chores. And my sensei, he barely spoke English. And that's where I first started to learn to ride. It, I kind of took to it like a fish in water and it didn't feel foreign to me. I felt right at home and, and, you know, loved my kind of Japanese barn family. And that trend has continued through the years, kind of in every place that I've gone. Hmm. And you, you're now a big traveler. I know from my own childhood, we spent a lot of time on the road and I look back on that as kind of the inspiration, almost habit that was formed. Does your childhood inform your your love of travel that you have now? Is that something that you've, you've carried forward? Absolutely. I think even back then, I was just always very curious and trying to kind of put the puzzle pieces of the world together. And to me, in my mind, that's very difficult to do in one place. And so I've always just wanted to explore more and learn more and see more. And so that was really kind of one of the catalysts that drew me into becoming a photographer's assistant after photo school, because, you know, in a perfect world, I would have been one of those kids with a backpack and a gap year. Um, but that just wasn't in the cards for me financially. So the next best thing was learning photography, traveling around as a photographer's assistant and traveling the world and, and getting paid for it while learning a trade. So that kind of curiosity definitely helped me to make career choices along the way, knowing that I just wanted to go places and see more and explore more. You know, it's interesting, the background with the ski racing and the horse jumping, there's a lot of competition in there and a lot of achievement that typically motivates people who have that early on. Do you find that that's parlayed into your current career, that achievement desire? I think so. After the show jumping, I went on to become a wrangler on a cattle ranch for about six years. And I think that combination of of desire to to get it right or to you know achieve a certain level of excellence combined with uh just really learning a true work ethic of of getting up at dawn every day and and being on a horse until sunset every day it definitely instilled in me the rewards and the fulfillment of of working and that that's not a bad thing um and i think that's definitely that there's, there is some fulfillment in kind of a job well done, a, a days of work that you go, okay, great, now we can really kick up our feet. And I still feel that way, even after photographing an intense wedding, that martini or plate of pasta, you know, at midnight when you're done is that much sweeter because of what you accomplished. Yeah, and, and is that kind of a ritual for you where you have some things that you do to celebrate after you complete a big weekend or a big wedding? 
Yeah, we do. So more and more, and I know I always stir or fluff a lot of feathers when I talk about eating at weddings. It seems to be a triggering topic in our industry, but I find more and more just we are very busy on wedding days and it's rare that we're really able to stop and and take a, a full vendor meal or anything like that. So for myself and our team, whenever possible, if we can you know, have a, a drink or two at the end and kind of clink to a job well done and, you know, maybe let's have some snacks afterwards or things like that. I always try to be prepared with that so that we can all, you know, kick up our feet while we download. And, and then I start editing feverishly in the middle of the night. Um, so it's, it's always something that we like to do. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a big believer in granola bars and beef jerky. Uh, I pretty <laughs> much eat, I eat those pretty much all day long. You know, I, I worked in restaurants for a dozen years before I got into events and lodging. And if, if you've ever worked in restaurants or known people who work in restaurants, we tend to just eat on the run. Uh, I like to eat standing at a counter. Uh, oftentimes because that's what you would do in the alley. You would just grab a bite when you could, and then you go out to your table because you didn't want to make them wait too long. So I'm, uh, I think I might be with you as far as, uh, just, you know, working when you can and and eating when you can and celebrating at the end of the day. That's a very, uh, hospitality oriented approach, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's always, I, I kind of have two switches. Um, one is I'm in work hyper-focus mode. All the wheels are turning for every minute of that day. And then when we're done, it's like, oh, okay, now I can, you know, kind of come back to earth and think about other things. But when we're in those coverage hours, I am 100% dialed in and kind of everything else just, you know, kind of goes, I get those blinders, everything else goes dark. Well, and it sounds almost like you're in a state of flow where, you know, uh, Michael Jordan game six, 1998 over here and KT <laughs> Mary at a wedding. Just, just uh, like that, Sam, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm a uh, you know I'm a fan of uh, kind of you know uh, behavioral science and and, yeah. and all of that. Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, uh, I, I believe is how you pronounce it. He actually just passed away a few months ago, but he was kind of the pioneer in studying flow, uh, which is oftentimes what people refer to when they're in the zone. And yes. it sounds like on wedding day you're 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 in the zone, and it's hard yeah. to get you out of it until you're done. Yeah, and I've even had to kind of really surround myself with people that understand that as well. Um, I'm lucky to work together with my husband and business partner, Chad. And I know when we first started, it was, it was something like almost, you know, he was taking it back. Who is this person? Because it's a little different than, you know, I, I don't think anyone would say I'm necessarily the most chill person, but when KT is chill, you know, it's much different than when I am hyper focused on the wedding day. And so we've had to also make sure the team understands that. And I kind of ask the same of them as well, that, we're, we're not going to talk about what we're doing tomorrow or what we ate last night. We're really going to be focused on, on this couple this day. And so I really want us all pouring our energy and our thoughts into that. Because when you do that, you're also going, oh, oh my gosh, I just remembered that we need to go do this or we haven't photographed this yet. And so it is something that I kind of really encourage our team to all get into that state, maybe not as intensely as I might, but then also I have Chad who... He is really great at making sure, you know, we're talking to all the different vendors and and having those niceties built in, even when I might be like even hyper-focused where I might not have time to, to do all that on the wedding day. Yeah, that's great. There needs to be that all, kind of all business approach, uh, especially mm-hmm. uh, from leadership, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on, a, on a day, you've got to make sure you're putting all of the pieces together. And it sounds like you're actively doing that. I'm curious, oftentimes I do a lot of writing, a lot of content creation. Uh, I do a lot of deep thinking. And one of the things that I do that I had learned many years ago when reading about flow is that you can actually do things to get yourself into a state of flow. For me, I listen to a certain kind of music, as silly as it sounds, and you may remember this, the group Enigma, which kind of has that like European, you know, ethereal chant type music. I love listening to it and it gets me into that state. I can literally like flip a switch and sit in the chair and within minutes I lose track of time and I'll, I'll like three hours later, I'll have written, you know, 2,500 words and, and I'm, I'm out of it. Do you have any rituals or any activities that you do pre-wedding so that you can get yourself into that state where you're hyper-focused? Yeah. One of the things for me every day is moving my body. So I, no matter what, I work out every single day. I love running, but 
Sometimes it's just even just doing a 30 minute HIIT workout with my iPhone and a YouTube video if I'm in an Airbnb or something. But that I think is most important just to kind of, I get into a sense of flow once I get in, into doing those activities. And then when it's time to actually drive to the location or start to unpack the bags, by then I, I always have the schedule in hand. I usually, if I have a design deck or mood board or anything that I've put together, a lot of times I'll have sent myself kind of some inspiration photos or just things for me to remember, just kind of going through those and reviewing all those and just really stepping into the day and kind of already pre-visualizing how that's going to unfold. We've already scouted. So I'm kind of retracing those steps in my mind, um, just really going through how that's going to flow and unfold. Wow. You know, you're describing this and I kid you not. I mean, this is something that that this idea of like envisioning, you know, what it's going to go like and, and mapping things out. This is very much what athletes who are wildly successful do to achieve that peak performance. And it sounds like building on, you know, going all the way back to your childhood of horse jumping and downhill skiing, you've just move that into your current career and you're using the same mindset approaches as as michael jordan or you know whomever it is the approach is the same yeah well the first and last time i'll ever get compared to michael jordan so thank you sam um (laughs) that's bucket list check um but but yeah absolutely i think this conversation of performance is actually something that's been on my mind because in this period right now, I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but there has been an elevation, a quantum leap in terms of performance, especially in the realm of wedding photography and technology has changed that has allowed us to do different things, but we have all needed to, you know, collectively massively up level. And so this topic of performance, I think, we're shooting at a higher level. We're holding ourselves to higher standards. I think performance, it's never been something that we've thought about more. It's interesting because in many ways, it's like NASCAR in the sense that like everybody gets the same basic gear. Yep. After that, it's all about skill and, yep. and practice and training and uh, improving, you know, these little tiny habits or, or, or approaches. Uh, I, I don't know if you've read, I know you're a big reader, uh, James Clear's Atomic Habits. And yeah. in there, he talks about the British bicycle team, which went from never having won anything to winning like seven or eight gold medals uh, over you know a 10-year period by making small 1% improvements every single time they did something. And it sounds like, again, like you're, you're applying that kind of achievement-oriented, performance-oriented approach to something that oftentimes is seen as more of artistic and creative in wedding photography. Do you find that there's a difference between a creative artistic approach and more of the performance mindset approach that you're taking? Yeah, I don't think so. And because I also think, you know, when it comes to say a NASCAR or I, I'm a big fan of Tom Brady, um, somebody that's, you know, really achieved performance. And when you think about those things, at the end of the day, it, it truly is an art. It's an art of how they're, you know, spotting things down the field or they're making the decisions that they're, it's just a, it's not necessarily, people don't necessarily look at a, a Tom Brady and go like, oh, he's an artist. But I am sure if you sit down with that guy and start to learn about how he makes his decisions and how he's put together things, you go, oh my gosh, you are an artist. Uh, you're just painting with a very different brush. And so I definitely look at those things as one and the same. And I think that everyone is, is a creative in that sense. It's just some things are labeled more creative than others. Yeah, I I would agree a hundred percent. I mean, I cannot draw stick figures very well. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'm off always have been. And, and at the same time, I would consider myself hyper creative with, how I can put together puzzles, for instance, whether they're actual jigsaw puzzles or word puzzles or number puzzles or business problem puzzles. There's creativity in the solution that we come up with. And it sounds like you're applying that kind of creativity to the work that you're doing. And by putting yourself into that frame of mind, that flow state, you're you're channeling all of your focus into being as creative as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe the early artist in me 
felt that some people just showed up and they were just so wild. And, and I'm sure this does happen, but they were just so wildly talented. They just showed up and like magical things happened. And then as I continued to go on in my career, I learned that, oh, well, if I actually, you know, did a scout or I really went through the timeline in depth or I had a calm morning that really put me in the right mindset, all those types of things, then everything else got easier. And so I think this idea that our talent or we're just creative enough that we just kind of can show up and it'll just unfold. Sure, it might happen for some people, um, Michelangelo, maybe, but, you know, I bet you that those people also all had their own performance routines, that they had their ways of doing things and the way they wanted things laid out and, you know, the way they went through their pre-rituals. And so I do think that we can certainly dial up the volume of our results if we're paying attention to those things and what sets us up for success and the things that work for us and the things that don't. I hear from a lot of wedding pros, especially who are, you know, it have made in luxury for a little while or even a long while that they end up hitting a plateau. And it, you know, it's one of the things that, that I get called on quite a bit is, Hey, can you unstuck me? And what I've said is that, and I think you said the same thing is that at some point you run out of luck or charisma or connections or natural talent, and you actually have to get good at what you do. And yeah. my recommendation is if you're stuck right now, listen to what KT just said over the last 15 minutes. But if you are trying to make that ascent into the luxury level or for go from luxury to ultra luxury that you can't just rely on the things that got you where you are. And a lot of that is natural talent that we have. What you need to do to really take it to the next level is you've got to sit down deliberately, intentionally figure out what do I need to do to achieve peak performance in key areas that are going to elevate my, 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 my skills or my connections with people or my talent as a, as a photographer or planner or whatever it is that you do, you've got to get good at it. You have to keep working at it because if you don't, you will plateau. And I've been there. I've hit that plateau. And I think if you're in this industry long enough, it's pretty much inevitable. I was reading a stat today and it was all about wedding photographers. And it was that the amount of photographers as a whole that may get past 11 years in the industry is 22%. That's not very many, obviously. <laughs> a lot of that is probably due to what you just described, that there are a lot of people that hit that inevitable plateau and either don't want it bad enough, aren't willing to get uncomfortable, want to just keep doing the same things and hoping for different results, or are, you know, some combination of the three of just make it mean something like it's not possible for them or they're not good enough when, when really it's just we have to, we have to do something different. So in addition to your performance mindset, what is a specific skill that you've really developed or practiced over the years that you think has a significant impact on your client's experience or the photos that you create or some other aspect of your business? Well, I think it, for me, it all comes down to business. And that was an area, like I said, I went to art school and I didn't go to, you know, an art school that also had a side of business. I went to a real art school that at the time, you know, they, it was super progressive that we were scanning in negatives and, and things like that. That was the most progressive side of it. So the, my business acumen was very low. I went to a Northern Nevada high school where I'm, I'm not a Harvard level or genius, but by the time I was a senior, I only had to go to school for two hours a day because I had already gotten so sped up on credit. So I was pretty much just working my way through senior year. And so by the time I started my own business, I knew just what the fashion photographers I had worked for had shown me. And that was pretty much, you know, how to be a freelancer, how to invoice people, how to trade time for money. And that was really the extent of it. And so when I, kind of got further along my career. And as you said, kind of my talent had only taken me so far and the hustle mentality of the early years of business kind of started to wear off. And I really needed to figure out how to kind of cross that next plateau. That's when I realized I can't 
run a really thriving, successful business at a high level if I don't know more about business. And so I deep dove into the world of, of business, into the world of numbers and pricing and P&Ls and all the things that I had never really looked at and got really obsessed and curious and kind of just poured all my energy into that. So you almost shifted the goal that you had, mm -hmm. whatever that old goal was, the, the, the goals that other people had or the path that they had shown you and you said, wait a second, I'm going to get some perspective here. And I realized what I need to do is this, and I'm going to go in this direction. And so winning achievement became more about how can I be a successful business owner rather than a successful photographer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it became bigger um, because before it was just how can I make the best possible work? But then I realized that if the business is suffering, then creating my best possible work, A, isn't even an option or B is really difficult because it's really hard to step into that flow and creativity when you're stressed out about how you're going to pay your bills or you're worried because there's a problem over a contractor, you know, all those things that can just totally derail you mentally. And so I think I really realized that having strong foundations, knowing the ins and outs of business and being able to, to actually be the leader of the business was something that was inevitable if I wanted to continue forward. And so I did really have to kind of go once again, can I do it? Do, am I good enough at, at math and business? You know, do I have that side of my brain? And at the time the answer was definitely no, but, um, I deep dove anyways. And, and now I can say it's been fun. And we've had a lot of conversations around things like pricing and those types of things. And I actually genuinely, um, really enjoy diving into these topics and learning more about them and sharing ideas about them. And to me, it's, it's as interesting as the art side of it. How many years into your career, say post fashion photography and in what just wedding photography, how many years into having that as your business, did it take you to get to the point where you said, you know what, I'm going to learn about the numbers side of things. I'm going to learn about the business side of things. Yeah. And this is, um, this is where it took me a very, very long time. And I think that's why I got passionate about helping other photographers because I truly didn't know what I didn't know. It took me about seven years to really get curious in that area, to really be interested in my numbers beyond the tax return that I would look at once a year. I was expecting a longer number or a larger number. <laughs> I, I think seven, I really, truly, I think seven years is actually pretty good. What I find is that most business owners in the wedding industry tend to run into that plateau uh, or, you know, they find that they're kind of at this cruising altitude and they can't really get up any further, uh, usually somewhere around four or five years in. Yeah. And, 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 and I oftentimes hear from people who are in premium going to luxury or luxury going, you know, eat, eat a bigger piece of the pie in luxury somewhere around five to 10 years in. And that's, and, and at that point, the pain is already set in so much that they're finally ready to, you know, tap out and say, uncle, I need some help. Who's somebody yeah. who can guide me. So I, I think that that's, that's a pretty common number that I see, but you really went all in. Like, I'm sure you do everything in life and you weren't like, I'm going to learn a little bit. I'm going to learn everything that I possibly can. And you haven't stopped. Yeah. Yeah. It's only kind of continue to grow. And how can I kind of continue that and up level even more? And it's really, it's like I said, kind of become another obsession, which is really fun because the worst thing in my mind is getting to the point where you go, okay, great. I've kind of, kind of got that licked or, you know, I'm pretty good in that area. And I think that's a really dangerous place to be where you go like, oh no, I'm, you know, I'm great. I, I'm just going to sit over here and put on cruise control. And so staying in that seat of being the beginner, being the student, trying new things, you know, failing or having, having to come up with new strategies. I think that's really what keeps it exciting for me. What keeps me passionate about it as well as keeps me really grounded to always know exactly where I am, which is the starting line every single day. Mm. You know, uh, for our online membership community, we uh, do a book club every month and one that uh, we did last year uh, because I just felt like it was so fitting was called burnout. Mm. And it was, 
written by two sisters who are uh, scientists, psychologists, and they look at it from a neuroscience perspective of what causes burnout and more importantly, uh, how to prevent it from happening in the future. And some of the techniques that they talk about are making sure that you're constantly challenging yourself, uh, making sure that you are um, focused on the right goals for what, you know, what does winning look like? You change what winning looks like that creates renewed interest. Uh, there was another one that I want to ask you about, which was being connected daily to a sense of purpose, mm-hmm. why it is that you do what you do. And I, you know, I've worked in weddings for uh, 16 years. And I remember when I was working as the director of operations with Todd events, I, you know, I got to parties and I, even seeing these million dollar parties with half a million dollars in flowers, you know, like at some point you become a, uh, accustomed to it. It's called hedonic adaptation, uh, where you become a, a accustomed to the, you know, the stimulation, the pleasure, the joy, the the whatever level it is. And you seek more and more and more. I mean, I got to imagine after a couple of decades of being around high fashion and high design and uh, you know, that that elevated uh, setting over and over again, you've really had to find a purpose that's more than just making money or taking beautiful photos. What drives you every day after having done this for so long? One, I think, is that constant um, kind of competition with myself in terms of how can we how can we do it better? How can we refine? And, and there probably has yet to be an event or a shoot where I've come back and was like, did that perfectly 10 out of 10, you know? Um, and so I, even after, you know, we just got done shooting this weekend and I had a list of like, okay, we, we learned 10 amazing things that we can implement for the next time. And so always being in that state of, of being the beginner and that constant quest to see if we can just do it, you know, 10% better, 2% better even. And then also larger that I impact in conservation, sustainability, wildlife, the natural world is something I'm deeply passionate about. And at some point, actually it was 2016, I realized that kind of my quote unquote journey to success, and I'm using air quotes here, wasn't necessarily going to happen right now. This idea that I was going to quote unquote become successful and then all of a sudden I could help save the rainforest or help threaten wildlife. That wasn't, it just seems too far away and almost like an excuse um, for not doing anything right now. And so that's when I built giving back and that proactive supporting um, conservation partners that we now have into our business plan. So part of what drives me to increase revenue or to have a more successful business is knowing that that allows me to write more checks um, to the causes that really matter to us and and to be partnered with organizations who are doing the amazing work in these areas. And so that part of it to me was really uh, a really strong motivator in terms of why, why not just be a little successful when we could be wildly successful and have a lot more impact. And do your clients that you have since 2016, when you implemented this connection with conservationism in your business, do your clients find that as an appealing part of working with you? Or is that a draw for them? Yeah. And to be honest, it was something I was, I was worried about um, to kind of tie those two worlds together. I, I think like most entrepreneurs, there is a point where you kind of want to you know, put up the storefront, the facade, and then kind of step back and go, okay, you know, here it is. Everything's great. And I've definitely brought more of, of my passions and perspectives into my business as I've grown over the years and just gotten more comfortable with doing that. And the answer is that for some of them, yes, some of them um, really love that. And it's something we connect on. And some of them, you know, quite frankly, don't care at all. And both are absolutely wonderful. But it is nice that I feel like I can show up authentically. I am making my own decisions with the business that really matter to me. And I think that that is the most important thing. So I think on, and it really doesn't bother me at all, the clients that, you know, don't resonate with it. Obviously, I'm not probably going to work with clients that are, say, you know, hunting elephants in Africa. But so I definitely bring those values into the business and let that help guide me as well as far as who we're in alignment with um, and who might not be a good fit. 
Yeah, I think people are going to self-select if they're a part of your tribe or not. And that's okay because it, it's part of the ideal client criteria. And mm -hmm. by putting something out there as passionately as you believe in, uh, people will be drawn to it or not. And that's okay. Yeah, I think it's actually better that way. And I have even in my contract now, like a wild animal clause. And once in a while, it will come up that, oh, we were actually thinking of having giraffes and an elephant at, you know, this party. And go, well, I don't think I'm the right photographer for that job. And so um, I love when, you know, you're able to be upfront about these things. And it actually is a great way to go, oh, my gosh, we are not in alignment. And so that's, uh, I think, just a wonderful thing. So going back to 16, 2016, and you started to bring this conservation approach to your business, there's a, that mingling together of, of business and non-business. Um, I get the sense that you're the kind of person who is going, going, going all the time with whatever it is that you're doing. Does the concept of a work-life balance strike you as something that you strive for, or do you lean more towards there's no such thing in the modern world when you own your own business and you've just got to figure out a way to kind of blend it all together. I, I would say the latter. I, I think the concept of balance, especially in the entrepreneur world is really outdated, but I think even more so, even when I look at our team and they're working remotely and, you know, sometimes we're doing a, a launch on a weekend and things, you know, this idea that, Oh, it's, it's these hours. I know some people, can do that and that works for them. But I find much better with counterbalance of we might have a really busy season or just come back from five days of intensely shooting and then going, okay, great. We are taking one full day and parking our chairs on the dog beach and really just letting the sun and the ocean restore us, whatever that may be. And so I think that's been a tricky thing in the year 2022. There's been more weddings this year than ever. <laughs> so, I mean, collectively, I know the whole industry has been feeling that and I'm looking forward to 2023 as, you know, an opportunity to build in some of that counterbalance. And so for me, um, it is more, how can we be more intentional and holding ourselves accountable to actually carving out that time and making sure that it's on the calendar or um, you know, if you need the massage or in Chad's case, a motorcycle ride that you actually put it on the calendar and commit to it. So are there other guidelines that you set up for that counterbalancing that that you found success with for work hard, play hard approach to life? Yeah. So one, I, I mentioned it already, but for me, um, movement is kind of part of, you know, my mental health care, if you will. And so January, 2020, I started a kind of fun little thing on social media, just like a 30 day challenge of move every day for at least 30 minutes and um, let's do it for all 30 days. And so I enjoyed it so much that I haven't stopped. So I haven't missed a day since January, 2020. And it can be very challenging, especially with some of our travel where we're literally in airports or in the air for more than 24 hours. So I had to get once again, creative and, you know, have like a little Lulu travel yoga towel that like I can go in the side of the airport lounge and do a 30 minute yoga video or whatever it may be. But um, those types of things, I think, are, are my version of that of saying, like, I have to have that morning workout or a nice meal is another one of them that I probably if I had a time accountant, they would probably look at the amount of time I spend researching restaurants and looking at menus when we're on the road and going, this is a very poor use of your time. <laughs> but for me, it's really important that that, you know, hour or two that I get in a restaurant while we're on the road or on that, you know, scout day that it's, I feel like I'm experiencing something, I'm eating healthy, yummy, nourishing food. And that those types of things are, are my version of that counterbalance. Have you ever heard the term maximizing versus satisficing? I haven't. It's a term that was coined, I think, back in the 50s, and it's become a little bit more popular, at least popular in the kind of books that I read um, over the last you know decade or so. And it's, it's two different ways of approaching making decisions. There's uh, maximizing, which is to get the most optimal you know, result possible. And, and you, you search and search and search until you find you know, satisfaction in, in finding the best result. And then satisficing is finding satisfaction in just good enough, like that's good enough. 
I, I maxim, I maximize with a lot in my life. In fact, I will maximize the movie choice that I watch at the end of the night that I'm going to like, just kind of chill to I'll spend 30 to 40 minutes just trying to find the movie. And by the time I find the movie, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go to bed. <laughs> I, I do this with, um, with trip planning for hotels. Yes. I'm like, and it's not just the hotel, it's the room, the specific room. And in fact, if I don't get the room I want, based on the information and the expectations that I have, I will go to the GM or whoever's there and I will say, hey, we have a problem here. I need to continue to get what I'm what I'm interested in. It's so obnoxious. I, I swear it'll be the death of Katie when um, when, when we <laughs> you, go. You travel. and Monica Geller, right? You guys are can relate to each other there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I'm wondering, do you find yourself maximizing like you do with restaurants and other areas of your business where like nothing short of an A plus is going to be acceptable? I think certain things like that. Absolutely. You know, it's something we teach about inside the abundance plan is this idea of B minus work, which I think is a concept that a lot of photographers, myself included, struggle with and figuring out where we will allow B minuses in our business because it all can't be A pluses. And that's, that's a hard pill for us to swallow, but somewhere we have to let a few things slide and restaurants is not one of those areas. I definitely maximize that usually accommodations, but there, there are certainly other areas. Oh, for example, when it comes to kind of the gear or a lot of like the logistics of, um, certain parts of the travel. It's not that I'm, you know, saying it has to be B minus, but I'm delegating that away. That's where like Chad certainly owns certain things and I own certain things and then the team owns certain things. And so certainly there are areas where I'm just like, okay, great. It's, you know, that is good enough. Let's move on to the next thing. That was a hard lesson to learn for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the phrases that I was reading about in some book recently, it was as good enough for now. Right. And and just, just to be okay, like, you know what, I can't have everything be an A plus all the time uh, because you'll, uh, you know, you'll drive yourself nuts and the people around you will, will be driven nuts and including your clients, because what ends up happening is that, you know, perfectionism breeds procrastination, which means that the deliverables or correspondence or whatever it might be with clients and, and other vendor partners ends up, you know, suffering because okay. you are waiting until it's perfect. Yeah. And I've even had to learn this on wedding days because we all know what my idyllic photography timeline and wedding day and all that. It's not just about us, you know, surprisingly it's, oh, there's a caterer and there's a planner and there's a florist and, you know, all of their needs and all those things have to align. And often that means things aren't really the way that I ideally would like them to be. And even though I know there's like a magical spot with magical light up on the hill over there, you know, I might just have to let that photo go because logistically it's not possible. And I, you know, I'm not going to lie. It breaks my heart a little bit every time I have to just like go, okay, just let it go. You know, this, this will be good enough. And I think that is one of the, the key lessons because that alone can, can really take you out of that flow. If you allow yourself to kind of get sucked into that and instead going, okay, great. How, what can we do instead? That is like the next best thing. And so I think that is something that I always come back to every time that I work. Yeah. It's that, uh, that self-awareness is, is important. And it's the first step before self-regulation, you know, mm -hmm. just to be aware of like, you know what, I'm going to have to prioritize the relationship that I have with this planner because I'd like to work with her again. And I'm not mm -hmm. going to hijack the couple for that magical spot. Yeah. And and then, then then you bite your your tongue and you say yes, ma'am. I'm going to follow the timeline and mm -hmm. uh, and do what you need to do. That mm -hmm. there's a there's almost um, a mindfulness quality about that. And I think back to like somebody like Daniel Goleman who writes about uh, you know emotional intelligence and mindfulness and the practical application of it to daily life and. I don't know if you've done any meditation, but you know what I, and I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but you know, what people talk about mindfulness as the gap in time between stimulus and a response. And mm -hmm. it seems like you're applying that kind of mindfulness approach to, Hey, I could do this, but I don't need to, even though I'm, my gut tells me to do it. It's a smarter opportunity for me to go this way with, with the relationship or the couple or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I think that that's 
that's something that we learn over time. And it's, it's hard to tame because our emotions can get the best of us. Oh, so much so. And I think it's definitely something that's learned over time. I mean, I've absolutely done it the wrong way many, many times and learned from those lessons. Um, but I also think at the end of the day, this is a team sport and we do have to work well with others. We do need to look at the bigger picture and make sure that we're factoring all those things and coming up with the best plan based on that. And I think that idea of consensus, I think it's Jeff Bezos who talks about that, that even if you disagree with something in a meeting and you've said, hey, just so you know, you know, this is not the way that I would do it. And this is how I would want it done. If everyone decides to move forward another way, you have to be like, okay, I'm on board with that. Let's do this. And I think that happens a lot with weddings as well, where I absolutely believe in saying, you know, I think we need a little bit more time on the schedule for this and here's why. And if it's, you know, you lay it all out and people decide that, no, they don't want to do that. And they're okay with the ramifications of that. Then you just have to go, okay, I'm on board. Let's do this. Um, and that's, that's something that I think uh, young, fresh photographers probably struggle with more, or they're probably not even having the conversation. They're just showing up and going, why is this timeline a mess? <laughs> why don't I have time to do anything? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it's something that's definitely learned. Um, but I, I really work to help photographers learn that a lot quicker than I did. Well, there you go. I, I, you know, I've always said, and I'm sure I read this somewhere that, you know, it's, it's great to learn from your own mistakes, but it's a hell of a lot better to learn from other people's mistakes. And, and I think that that's right. And successes. Uh, but I think that's what younger, less experienced business owners, photographers or, or wedding professionals or whomever can learn from mentors or, uh, you know, uh, el elder business owners like us that we've, we've already done that. We've already made the mistake. And so you don't have to learn it too. We can just teach you the shortcut so you don't have to run into all the walls that we did. Absolutely. And, and what a blessing. I mean, if only I could have listened to podcasts like this when I was, you know, at year one or year three or year five um, would have been amazing. Well, so I want to ask a couple more questions uh, uh, along this line. You know, obviously, letting go of control can be hard, especially for peak performers uh, like both of us. Uh, trust me, I've had, I, you know, countless hours of therapy over letting go of control. Um, <laughs> I, I, I own a business where I fix problems professionally. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to stay away from uh, uh, that, of course. But, but I'm wondering, when you go through and you look at some of the barriers or the hard parts, the challenges that you run into with your business, what are some of the things that come to mind? For me, I've always looked for those solutions. And you mentioned mentors and, and learning. And I think for me, that is where I've found solutions. I've, I've surrounded myself with a lot of books, with a lot of people who are smarter than me, um, with a lot of other entrepreneurs who I think have, we share similar values and ambitions. And that has always been where I've found the way. Um, or when I just needed someone to recalibrate how I was thinking at that given time, it's always been the thing that's kept me going and brought me back to where I needed to be. And so I think that is something that I'll hold on to forever and will continue to only do more and more of. I think that idea that our businesses, our success can only grow to the level at which we're able to solve problems, I think is absolutely true. And I realized very quickly that I am not equipped to solve all these problems by myself. <laughs> so I've just really made a conscious effort to continue to seek out other people who might be further ahead in different areas than I am. And you found a lot of that success in finding mentors outside of the wedding industry, right? Pretty much entirely. Um, and, you know, in, in the early years, I think I learned a lot about shooting from other mentors in our industry and about style and how to shoot and those types of things. But I found it at least, you know, back in the day, I found it people weren't opening up about the, the insides of their business as much as they are now. And so I really had to go look elsewhere. And I'm, I'm actually really grateful that I did because I learned how most businesses, regardless of your, if you're, you know, a coach of something or a, a therapist or a photographer, most often we all have similar struggles and problems and the things that we're struggling with are 
usually pretty darn the same. And so I think we can learn a lot from other people who, if they're striving to get ahead like you are, you already have a lot in common. Yeah, and I think you and I share that same value in life. I think it's also more rewarding because we get to take either, like I go straight to the source and and like you are reading books from not just people who are in business, but people who are uh, telling business owners what's going on inside of the mind or, and and how things really function in, in these non-conscious ways and how, how humans make decisions and um, what people respond to in, in teams. And, and I think that that's very, very helpful because it, it creates a different perspective than you would get if you only got information from somebody who's in your field. Yeah. And I, I remember I, I, I did a workshop uh, with Sylvie Jill a couple of years in 2018 and 2019. She had a, a small workshop at a chateau in France. She did the creative styled shoot type stuff. And I did a business you know, education in the morning. And I remember, I'll never forget, at one point, somebody asked her, uh, uh, do you spend a lot of time looking at other photographers' work? And she said, no, I do not allow it to infect my mind. And, mm -hmm. and I'll never forget how she said, I don't allow it to infect my mind. And, and I think that there's some joy in going outside the wedding industry for looking at how to model your business or, or find a mentor or get perspective because uh, otherwise it becomes almost like this echo chamber where everybody's just doing the same thing that everybody else is, but trying to do it a little bit better. If you can come at it with a whole different approach, which is what, at least that I've seen you over the last several years, you've really done that. You're like, I'm going to do something totally different than everybody else is. And that I think is what's such a magnet, such a draw for people to your education. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, Oprah always said, don't don't spend the time like while you're running the race, looking over at where the other people are, just run your own race. And I think that's it is truly such good advice. And I think that certainly we've been able to create a community inside of our education where people really are standing arm in arm, lifting each other up and celebrating each other's wins. And it's quite rare in our industry. And so I think that that can be hugely supportive and very, very positive. But I think when you don't have that right environment or you look around at, at what you are looking at and really asking yourself if it's helping you or if it's bringing you down, is it raising your vibration or lowering it? I think that's where you have the true answer. And for me, especially at the time, and even now, I find it so much more expansive to learn from a lot of different people. And I found myself at um, Keller Williams mega camp in Austin a few weeks ago in a room of 2,500 real estate agents. And I was like, they're taking notes as fast as possible, just so enthralled. And no, I'm not going to become a real estate agent. I just <laughs> happen to be friends with one of the hosts. Homes are wagging already. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really fun and it just proved once again how much you can learn by just plopping yourself in a different scene in a different environment and how how much of it you would be so surprised how much of how they manage leads in real estate applies directly to how we interact with our clients and so there was so much crossover it just once again proved that point for me yeah and that's that creativity that's coming into play right where you're 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 borrowing from lots of different sources to create your own approach or own solution uh, that's that's unique and different to you um, i'm curious what does success look like to you how would you define success for you and your business in the next i don't know two three four years oh that's such a big question do you have another hour um <laughs> real real high level I would love to have more white space to focus on some of those other creative endeavors. Um, like many people, these last few years have been a little unpredictable and then, you know, into straight up busy, not leaving a lot of white space. So success definitely looks like more of that for me. I've been in a season of business building and work for quite a long time now, 15 years in. And so we're definitely, um, Chad and myself are looking forward to carving out some more time for some of the creation, like creating for We're headed back to Africa next month to create for render loyalty and, and go photograph elephants in Kenya. So more time for those types of things that are truly tied to impact and, and really those legacy building things that 
we're going to continue to work on. And more days at the dog beach. More days at the dog beach. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, I remember a few years ago, I had this kind of epiphany. I was listening to Mike McCallowitz talk. I don't know if you know him. He wrote uh, Profit First. And um, sure and I just, I just had this shift in perspective where he started talking about how you have to start with what kind of profit you want to make for your business, add on expenses, cogs, and then you get to your revenue goals and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember thinking I've had it all wrong my entire life. I've always focused on making profit and money, but yeah. I haven't thought about profit in time. Yes. And as, as you and I both know, you know, uh, time is the most precious resource and the, the uber wealthy will tell you the same thing. Once you reach a certain level of, uh, you know, of comfort in life, it's always about how can you get more time? Mm -hmm. and, and for me, it was starting with, you know, I'm not going to work after four and before eight o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to work on the weekends. I'm going to I'm going to spend 100 days a year, you know, traveling, whether it's work or pleasure or both. And 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 that's how I set my goal. That was success for me. And I built my business over the last three years around that as the definition of success. And it's wild how different life becomes when you get a very clear understanding of what success looks like. Most people I find look at other people's goals and what other people ha have as a definition for success, or, and this can be even worse, you look at old goals or old definitions of success that you've always carried, but maybe are not applicable anymore. And, yeah. and I think that business owners need to be real clear about what they want, and then you can reverse engineer the path to get there. And it sounds like you're working on some of that, that I want that white space. I want that time yeah. to be creative without the pressure of, you know, double header, double header, or, you know, three day weekend, and then two days off, three day weekend, two days off, three day weekend. Yeah. And a big, big part of that for us is, is really kind of tackling into what are those kind of zone of genius activities? What are the things in the business that I really want to be doing and what things would I really love for someone else to be doing. And I know we kind of start with that on a real high level, say in terms of like bookkeeping and things like that, but diving into that even so much deeper has been really interesting to see how we can optimize that. And we've been, a lot of that has to do with team building. And so it's something that over the next few years would really love to get dialed in where I can have more creation time, more white space time and more ideation time. Oh, look at how we just moved that in. Uh, <laughs> um, to really bring that into um, into more of what I do. And so I think it's it's been great because I, I love traveling. I love being busy. I love, I love the shooting part. And that's something that I always want to do. Um, and just freeing up more space around that to, to uh, allow more of that flow and that creativity and everything that I do. I hope you get it. I know you will. I want to ask two more questions. So Great. if we have success over here and what you're doing forward looking, um, looking in the rearview mirror, any regrets as a business owner? Is there something that wish you could, you could have a sliding doors moment where you get a do over, where you felt like your business world changed because you missed an opportunity or, or you took the wrong path? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's that I took the wrong path or or something changed, but to me, it just took a lot longer than maybe I, in hindsight, I wish I would have gotten curious or gotten more uncomfortable sooner or really just started to dig into realizing that there was support out there, even if I didn't see it within my own industry. So just really going after those things sooner, I think. There was a lot of trial and error and a lot of periods where it was a very lonely endeavor. And I think that really lasted longer than it needed to, that I could have kind of taken myself into these rooms a lot sooner and, you know, gotten there even faster. So one of my mentors, he always tells this story, which as an animal lover is, is a painful one, but it's, it proves the point. But of this gentleman walking past a guy sitting on the front porch He's got his dog sitting next to him and the dog's crying. And he says, what is wrong with your dog? And he's like, oh, he's sitting on a nail. And he's like, oh my gosh, why doesn't he get up? And he says, oh, I guess it's not that painful. And that same idea that as humans, we tend to wait until it's, you know, crisis mode or unbearable or, you know, wait for the diagnosis or something to really change everything. And I think I'm have absolutely been victim to that as well. So the idea of if we 
we know that have a hunch that we want something to be different to take really massive action a lot sooner rather than waiting for that period where, okay, now I have no choice. Yeah, such good advice. One of my favorite books that I, I still love to read, and I, I started with my daughter, who's now 14, and, and I read it to her quite a bit. In fact, I have recordings of it so that she can play it at any point, is Oh, the Places You'll Go. And mm, I don't know if you've book. read it, but, but, but in there they have this idea of the waiting place. And, yeah. and whenever I think about wedding professionals or business owners who are stuck, I feel like they're stuck in that waiting place. Yeah. And like that two pages that I just, I, w I wish that every business owner could go through and read because so many of us are in that waiting place and we don't know mm -hmm. where to go or who to ask for help or what direction to take. And it takes us a long time to actually feel the pain. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's easy to sit on status quo. And yep. in fact, we, we as humans prefer to do that. If it's not killing us, we're probably going to be pretty okay with it. Yeah. And, and as business owners, that can be a malignant tuner in your growth as, a, as an owner, as a professional, as a creative, when you sit with good enough too long. Yeah. And I, and I think it kind of, this is a whole nother topic, but it comes back to this conversation around worthiness. And I think that a lot of us feel like, well, who am I to say, you know, that I can have more or that I deserve more. And isn't this good enough? And I, I think that that is something that I think all of us can, can resonate with on some level. And I says, and two of us get one. I think there's, that's the idea of abundance, that there is more than enough to go around. And so there's nothing wrong with that desire to achieve more or to be more or to have more. So let's talk a little bit more about the abundance. I want to wrap up the conversation with that. Uh, I love the name that you've given to your uh, comprehensive program that you have for wedding pros who are looking to level up their business, the abundance plan, uh, apropos to uh, where the conversation has taken us. Um, you, you have uh, enrollment that's opening up here in October. Uh, I'd love for you to share with listeners a little bit more about the program and how they can find out uh, some more about the specifics. Yeah. So, I mean, it really is born out of this place of this conversation today of realizing that both artistry is something that we need to master, but also so is business. And that can actually be something very creative, very intuitive, and something that we can really marry together with our artistry to get to where we want to go. And that we really need both to sustain over the long term and to get to that next level. So, all the spaghetti throwing that I did, all the trial and error of all those years, um, I've really distilled it down into a intentionally robust program that takes them A to Z through the blueprint that I've used to build my business and now hundreds of other creative entrepreneurs' businesses as well. And so everything from building that vision to the business principles, to the marketing, you know, all that sexy marketing stuff, but the real foundations of it. Uh, to that, how do we sustain, how do we avoid the burnout, all those types of things. And being able to kind of take photographers through that and other creative entrepreneurs, um, we've seen that it really is what they are needing instead of just focusing on, oh, this marketing trend or this superficial thing. We, we are diving deep and getting to the core of it to build those foundations. Yeah, it's it's such a comprehensive program, and it's a it's a great opportunity for any photographer who's interested in leveling up their skills and and also their mindset and approach to their business. Now, you've got some upcoming opportunities for people to learn from you at no cost uh, here in uh, October. Can you share a little bit more about what you're going to be doing and and how they can sign up for that? Yeah, absolutely. So regardless of whether or not the abundance plan is something that you you are ready for that deep dive or, or that massive action, we are doing a three-part live workshop that, as you mentioned, is free. And it really is talking about how we build that machine, that irresistible brand that starts to work for us, how it makes everything else easier, kind of like that snowball that you see all of a sudden where you get a few things in place and then they just start to snowball together and all of a sudden everything else gets easier. We're going to be diving into three live trainings, just talking about those core concepts and how when you build that brand and how you do that, and you can find massive up-leveling and have it come a lot easier. So it'll be a, a three-part live workshop and it'll be really fun. We d dig into it and you can get get a lot of information just by showing up. 
Yeah, that's great. Well, we have uh, a fairly good overlap in our communities. We have a lot yeah. of luxury photographers or aspiring luxury photographers who follow along with your information and, and approaches and have been a part of the abundance plan. Uh, we've seen lots of really good results from them. There's a great opportunity, I think, if you're listening to this uh, podcast episode, I hope that you have some time uh, to at least sign up. I'm sure there'll be some replays available if you can't get on live. Uh, but KT has such a wealth of not just mindset and perspective uh, that she shared today, but also the strategies and the specific tactics that you can apply to skip over all of the mistakes that uh, people like she and I have made in our careers and just go straight to the shortcut and, and get to the destination that much faster. So thanks, KT, for uh, joining me today. Thanks so much for sharing your perspective. Uh, I had told you that I was very eager to hear a little bit more about your background so much more of it makes sense. And I can also see why we get along so well. Uh, so thanks for being so open about, about your, your business ownership uh, experiences and, and perspective. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, we'll definitely have to do this again sometime. I always love our conversations. A quick note, if you're listening to this before October 13, 2022. KT is offering free workshops for wedding photographers who want to learn more from her about how to thrive as a business owner in the luxury space. Click the link in show notes to register for free and access live learning or video replays. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 